Lord, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for the wonderful weather we have right now. Maybe a little warm, but we're grateful that we have good weather, and we can meet together, and we can seek you. And Lord, we're grateful and thankful that in our hands is our Bibles, in our hands is your word, and through that, Lord, well, thank you so much that you speak to us. So that's what we ask, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts. God, that you would change us and move us and make us different people. Lord, that you would renew our minds, Lord. Take the things of the world, the things of the flesh, out of our minds and give us your wisdom, your word, your way, your approach, your attitudes, what you want out of us, God, as we are your people, as we are your children, God. And so, Lord, we gather together as your church, Lord, seeking you together as one. So we ask for an anointing. We ask for your touch of your spirit upon this time. Bless your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I read about two men in a retirement center. They were talking. The first one, Norm, said, I'm 85 years old and I feel like I'm falling apart. How do you feel, George? Well, George replied to him, said, Even though I'm almost 100, I feel like a newborn babe. How in the world can you feel like a newborn at your age? Norm asked. Well, said George, just like a newborn baby, I don't have any teeth. I don't have any hair. I can't sleep through the night, and I'm back to wearing diapers. <laughs> Well, I guess that's one way to look at things when you get older and you can't keep things together anymore. Well, as we return to our study through the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul continues to address the division that's going on in the Corinthian church there. They're, they're falling apart, basically. But rather than everything falling apart and things getting divided, Paul is going to help them to keep it Together, And that's the title of our message this morning, Keep It Together. Keep It Together. We're going to be studying 1 Corinthians chapter 3 from verse 18 to 23. We're going to finish this chapter off today. 1 Corinthians 3, 18 to 23, keep it together. And so how do we keep it together? What is Paul saying? Well, this is our outline. How you do it? Well, with number one, the right wisdom. Number two, the right outlook. And number three, the right insight. So let's take a look at this. Number one in our outline, the right wisdom. Keep it together. How? With the right wisdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Let's look at this together. It says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. So we begin our section here, Paul's writing, and he says, hey, let no one deceive himself. In other words, you know, stop, stop leading yourself astray. Stop misleading yourself, fooling yourself. How's that? Well, by thinking that you're wise with the wisdom of this age, of the wisdom of this world. Don't, you know, stop misleading and leading yourself astray, thinking, well, you're wise in this age. Now, rather than be trying to be wise in this human wisdom, Paul goes on to say, hey, become a fool. What is he saying there? Well, look foolish now to the world by following God's wisdom, by becoming 
wise. And he's saying that you really would become wise. And how is that with God's wisdom, God's word, his way, his thinking. Now, to the world, that looks foolish. But with God, hey, it's wise. That's the thing to do. So Paul's saying, hey, stop deceiving yourself with the worldly thinking and turn to God's wisdom even if you look like a fool. Why is this important? Well, because, remember, division was going on in the church. There was a, little, a lot of contention. There was strife. There was fleshly attitudes, carnal attitudes, as he talked about to him at the beginning of chapter 3. And where did that come from? Well, from the human wisdom, from the worldly wisdom, by the way they do things and the way they think. Now, re remember, as we've been studying this book, the background is, hey, Corinth is a Greek city. And this is where the church was born. This is where the church was planted. And in this Greek city, the Greeks, they were prideful, right, of their philosophers, their thinkers, their debaters. And they lifted that up. Oh, that guy is wise. Oh, he, his philosophy, he, he get him, you know. He, his thinking, that's, that's, what, that's what I like. And so that leaked into the church and the church was was operating in that same way but in the sense of hey i'm with paul paul's the one he's more wise or, or i'm with apollos or or i'm with peter here and so that same kind of mold was causing division contention strife as this carnal attitudes so paul is like here he's like hey you know this carnal thinking right like he was talking about earlier in chapter three this approach is not going with God's wisdom. It's not building upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. And that's what we studied last time we were in the, the previous section of chapter 3. So he's saying, hey, don't, don't deceive yourself thinking that this is what it is with the worldly wisdom. That's what it means to be wise. But, you know, even if you look like a fool, you know what? Go with God's wisdom. Well, he goes on in verse 19. He says, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, verse 20, The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So, what the world thinks is wise, Paul's saying, hey, you know what? It's actually foolishness to God. The wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. Now, the word foolishness here in the greek is moriah it means it's senseless it means it's dumb it's actually taken from the word morals which was used in verse 18 that that uh, let him become a fool a moral and that's that greek word is where we get the word moron from so it's a real opposite you know way of looking at things yeah hey you know, even though you're going to look like one moron, you know, kind of thing. Hey, you know what? It's all right. Grab God's wisdom. You know what? The wisdom of the world is actually moronic to God. It's dumb to God. And then Paul goes on, you know, like it's written, like he pulls some, some ideas from the Old Testament. As it is written, that's actually taken from Job chapter 5, 13. He catches the wise in their own craftiness. Paul's saying, hey, he quotes Job 5, 13, saying, hey, you know, how the worldly wise gets exposed is in their foolishness and in their, after thinking they're so wise, they're actually not, 
you know. They think, oh, they got it together, but then in the end, it comes out that they're not. Or he says, and again in verse 20, and then he quotes Psalm 94, 11, saying, how human wisdom, the thoughts of the wise, they are futile. Human wisdom results to end up in nothing. It's useless, Paul is saying here. So that's why, you know, the wisdom of this world, God's saying, it's just moronic. It's, 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 it's dumb. It's, it's nothing. Think about it this way. The best of the world's wisdom is still foolishness compared to this all-knowing and all-wise God. Yeah, His wisdom is far above anything. Right? So Paul's like putting that out. And, you know, they think they're so smart. But in the end, it comes out they're not at all. You know, I was thinking about Haman. Do you remember Haman in the, the book of Esther? Yeah, how he built those gallows, you know, to hang Mordecai with. What happened in the end? Well, in the end, he was hanged on the very gallows that he had built for someone else. He thought, well, he has a plan. He can get Mordecai and get back at him. But after his evil plan was exposed to the king, right, he was the one who got hanged on it. Haman trusted in his own wisdom, and that wisdom brought him down. That's the idea here. Now, take note before we go on. Paul is not talking about this knowledge of like mathematics or science or physics or mechanics and all that. You, you know, he's not talking about the, the laws of nature, so to speak, that God really put out there and created, put in place. No, Paul is talking about the wisdom concerning salvation, concerning spiritual things, concerning the truth in that, concerning how to live your life here on this earth, concerning how to relate to one another and how to have a relationship with God. That's what he's talking about in this wisdom. John MacArthur said, where human wisdom becomes foolish and useless is in matters concerning God, salvation, and spiritual truth. All right, so what is Paul saying here in this, this group of verses? Well, in context now, remember we're talking about the division going on in the church. So in context, to stop the division in the church, to keep it together, Paul's saying, hey, turn from worldly wisdom and embrace God's wisdom even if you're going to look foolish to everyone else. He's saying, turn from worldly wisdom, embrace God's wisdom, even if you're going to look foolish to everyone else, the world, so to speak. On Palm Sunday this year, just this, this, this 2017, Nassim Sami died by an ISIS terrorist who bombed the Egyptian Christian church that he attended. Now, a little bit later, his wife, was Samira was interviewed on Egyptian TV and she shocked everybody. She shocked especially the TV interviewer. You know why? She said that she prays for the bomber and forgives him for killing her husband. The TV interviewer commented was like, oh, you, you Christians, you're, you're made of steel. He even said this. He commented and said that she is made from a different substance. It shocked them. It, 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 everyone was thinking, whoa, how could you do that? This bombing just killed your husband. It doesn't make sense to the world. It sounds foolish yeah, to the world's eyes and thinking. Worldly wisdom says, you know, don't get mad. What? Get even. Yeah? Get them back. But God's wisdom, what did Jesus say? 
love your enemies, yeah? Forgive them. Forgive those who persecute you. The world's wisdom says, hey, do what's best for yourself first. But what does God's wisdom say? Think of others before yourself, right? Philippians 2. The world's wisdom says, hey, you only live once, so grab everything you can, all you can, right? God's wisdom says, no, give. And if they take, give even more. It's so opposite of how the world thinks. The world's wisdom, the world's philosophy, the, wor- the way the world lives and approaches things. The world's wisdom says success is, you know what, people serving you, you making it to the top. But what's God's wisdom? What does the word say? Well, like Jesus was, be a servant of all. See, all this to the world, this is just foolishness. It's, 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 it's dumb, yeah? It's moronic. But Paul's saying, hey, don't operate in that way. That's not the way it should be. Turn from worldly wisdom and embrace God's wisdom, even if it will look foolish. See, Paul was addressing how the church was dividing, and he, he's saying this is how the church is supposed to be different from the world. They're supposed to operate in a different way. Turn from the worldly wisdom, but turn to God's wisdom and be this church of God. You're not to be like the world. You're like to be how God wants you to be. Jesus said in John 17, 11, he said, Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And then in verse 14 in John 17, he says, They are not of the world, right? So we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We may be, this church may be in the world, but Paul's saying, you're not of the world. You're not supposed to operate on human wisdom. It's supposed to be on godly wisdom. The church basically is not to be like the world. Some approach church like, oh, it's an organization. We've got to run it like a business. And there's part of that. But no, bottom line is it's not an organization. It's an organism, right, with Jesus as the head. We're a body, right, flowing. Things are done differently than how the world would think something should be run. Human wisdom says, well, you got to depend on promotion, prestige. you got to depend on money and power, position, influence, you know, have the right connections, and that's how you make it. Well, God's wisdom says the church depends on what? Prayer. Depends on faith. It depends on humility. It depends on the power of the Holy Spirit. It depends on service, sacrifice, forgiveness, and love. It's supposed to be different. All this looks foolish to the world. All of it. How about you? Do you look foolish to the unbelievers, to the world? Do you? You should. You should be operating in a different mode. Not on human wisdom. Not on human standards. Not, on, not in the flesh. Yeah? But we operate differently in the spirit. And it should look funny to the people in the world. They should go, you're, you're kind of strange. Well, thank you very much. You know, right? It should be that way. You know what happens, though, is sometimes we get prideful in our own wisdom, don't we? Paul really is addressing intellectual pride. He's saying, you know, don't operate like the world is. That, that's prideful. Hey, I'm a Paul. You know, hey, I follow him. <laughs> you're nothing, yeah? I belong to Peter. I'm, 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 I'm with his group. You, you, you guys don't know. That's pride. That's intellectual pride. And Paul is saying intellectual pride is the enemy of 
unity. Does that describe you? Always having to be the wise one, yeah. Always having to be the, the one with the answers and nobody's opinions matters but yours. That's intellectual pride. Some always have an opinion on everything, no matter what's said, yeah? Or some always play, hey, I'm the devil's advocate. And they don't just do it to help, they just do it just, just to do it. Because they want to be the smart one. They want to be, oh, no, I, I know better than you. Yeah? Even in spiritual things, even in the church, they come across in that way. Some people are always critical, yeah? I know some, I would say 95% of the time, they have nothing good to say, nothing encouraging, nothing positive. When they say something, it's always critical. Why? Because they know better than you. They're above you. They're wisdom. They're, 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 they're more than you, yeah? They're mine. Thing is, when you operate in that way, that's the world. Being competitive, always have to one-up the other person, yeah? There's no humbleness. No, there's no reliance on God's wisdom found in His Word. You know what? We, it's all opinion. You, you. You know what? We should all be seeking. We should all humbly say, hey, what does God want here? What, what does God's Word say here? You know? Sometimes, you know, as couples, we get into those discussions, yeah? You know, well, no, I think it's this. No, I think it's this. Well, a lot of times in counseling, I say, well, what do you think God wants? All of a sudden, oh, yeah. I forgot about that, yeah? Because we get caught up in our flesh. We get caught up in ourselves. We get caught up in that moment of, well, I, I'm, I, I know I'm right. I know this is the way it should be and all that. And then we forget, wait a minute. We're both Christians. Yeah, our marriage is under Christ. What does the Lord want in this? What does the Word of God say? What, and what does the, the Word say? What, what is His will in our life? Let's line up under that. We should be that way. We should be in a place where we're seeking God, His wisdom. The human wisdom says, well, hey, I get Him. You know, I'm okay. Hey, you know, I'm smarter than you. But God's wisdom is like, hey, humble yourself. Yeah? Look to me. Find wisdom in me. Be teachable. This Arabian proverb said, he who knows not and knows not that he knows not is a fool. Avoid him. Then the proverb goes on and says, He who knows not and knows that he knows not, he's wise. Teach him. That's the place I want to be, right? I don't want to say, Oh, I get him. No. I want to be in a place that, no, I want to keep learning. I want to keep growing. I don't, I'm not God. I, I'm not all knowing. You know? I want to keep learning from the Lord and from everyone. All right, let's go on to number two now. Number two, the right outlook. The right outlook. We've seen the right wisdom, how to keep it together with the right wisdom. And now number two, the right outlook. The right outlook. Paul goes on here, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at verse 21. Let no, therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Verse 22, whether Paul or Apollos, or Cephas, and we're going to pause right there. Here, Paul, he goes on, he says, therefore. Well, he says, look, since believers are not to think like the world, we're supposed to have God's wisdom, the wisdom of God in our lives. And you know what? He says, let 
known both in men. Don't be prideful about the, the guys you follow, the leaders you follow. The, don't be all prideful in that way. That, that's human wisdom. That's the way they are, operate. And no matter who it is, he says, whether it's Paul or it's Apollos or Cephas. Who's Cephas? Peter, right, it's Peter. So whether it's, it's these great, you know, men of God, these great preachers and teachers and, and, and even Peter himself, you know, don't boast about, hey, I'm following him. I belong to Paul. I belong to Paul. No, I, I belong to the Peter group. That's, that's who I'm with, yeah. I, I belong to the, the church of, of First Peter, you know, kind of thing. No, don't boast upon that. Why is he saying, why does he say this? Well, at the end of verse 21, he says, for all things are yours. What's he saying? God has given to you all things, for what reason? For your spiritual growth, for your benefit, for you. He has given all things, and, he, and specifically, he, he names these guys. He starts with these men that we saw way back in chapter 1 that they were following, they are lifting up just like the Greeks do. He's saying God has not given these men to divide you. That's not what it's about. God has given these men to unite you under God's truth. They're a benefit to you. They're helping you understand God's truth. It's not about this one guy. He's better than the other guy. Or this guy can speak better. Or I like this guy. He's more entertaining. He makes me laugh. You know? No, it's not about that. It's about God has given all of these guys in their own way to help you learn the truth of God. That's what Ephesians 4.11 talks about. It says, And he himself, that's Christ, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. And then in verse 12 in Ephesians 4, it says, For what? The equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Then in verse 13, Ephesians 4, all, all this, apostles, evangelists, pastors, teachers, they were given what? Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. You see, Paul, Apollos, Cephas, they were all given, Paul is saying, we were all given to you. You have all this. You, 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 you've been given all this. Why? So we could all be united in one truth under what we know about Jesus, what the, his truth. That's the idea here. Well, Paul goes on here. It's not only preachers and teachers, apostles like that. The rest of verse 23, he goes on and says some amazing things here. Take a look here. 1 Corinthians 3, 23, he goes on in the second part. He says, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, Guess what, guys? All are yours. Now, this is interesting. What is he talking about? The idea here is those in Jesus Christ now, those who have been saved, those in Jesus Christ, have all these things in your possession for your benefit. They are there. God is giving all these things for you. So there's no need to align yourself to anyone or anything, but it's Jesus who's done this, and He's, he gives us all that we need. That's, if anything we're to boast about, and Jeremiah talks about that, it's the Lord, yeah, and what he's done. John Phillips says, we have no need to look anywhere else once we have looked to Christ. Look at the things which are ours. So 
I, this is an amazing passage to me. I mean, I, I read it every year, but really going into it, I thought, wow, wow, this says so much. So, so Paul lists these benefits, and let's take a look at this in the second part of verse 22. Paul lists these benefits that are ours that God has given us. First thing here, he says, or the world, the world. Now, the world is in relation to Jesus who made it. The world is in relation to the God who upholds it and keeps it going. Now, we understand through Scripture that Satan rules it, but God who created the world can override him at any time sovereignly that whenever God likes, yeah. So the world in relation to Jesus and, and our, our life with him, it's like, whoa, we've been given this world to enjoy. We've been blessed with this, right? I mean, I, I, I keep, this week, I, I kept looking out, you know, onto our island and, and looking at the ocean and, and even though the kingfish are getting dry. But even with that, you know what? It's, it's, it's so beautiful and glorious what God has created, right? When you look up at the Haleakala, our mountain, and you see the clouds, you think, whoo, God, you made all that. We can enjoy that. Joseph Parker, this um, preacher in the early 1900s, he once wrote this. I began my ministry in Banbury, and my upper window looked over the vast estate of a wealthy man. It was I who... I, uh, it was I, really, who inherited that estate. Oh, I did not own a foot of it, but it was all mine. The owner came down to see it once a year, but I walked its miles day after day. He was able to enjoy that. Same with us, you know. The world around us, what God has created, we can enjoy that. Well, he goes on here, he says, or the world, and then secondly, life, or life. Now, as new creation, this life we have now in Christ, it, it, it can hold wonders and experiences as we walk this, this life here on this earth. We can. We can experience God now, right? In Jesus, we now have this spiritual life. Ephesians 2, we were, we were once dead in our sins, but now we're alive, right? Now we have God in our lives, and we see him work in our lives. He answers our prayers. He moves in us. And we have, most of all, to me, the most important thing is we have this relationship with God. I was listening to this devotional on the radio the other day, and, and, and oh, it was online radio. And, you know, it really struck me how, yeah, we do our devotions, but is it a devotion? In other words, we may do our devotions, we read our chapters, we do our prayers, but do we really spend this time with the living God? That's what it's about. I remember one pastor sharing that, um, I mean, his ministry was, was just going off and, and God was blessing it, the church was increasing, and, and someone asked him, so, you know, what's, what's, the, what's the greatest thing you see God doing in your life? And you know what he said? Oh, my time with God has been the best ever. We have this life now that we can live with God. Our devotion time, every day, He's there with us. We relate to Him. He relates to us. He speaks to us. We speak to Him. He's right there working in our lives. And, and, and that's, that's so wonderful now. All things are yours. All things we have in life. Number three, He goes on, or death. Or death. Not only word and life, but now death. What? What? Death? 
I mean, at first three, you're thinking, death, I don't know, death is, you know, a sad thing. Death can be scary to many people. What, death? Well, death, if you think about it, is actually what brings us into the presence of God. Now, granted, it is not good for unbelievers, right? But for those of us who have given their lives to Christ, we've accepted Jesus and we're saved and we know our, our future now, you know what? Death, hey, it's not a bad thing. Yeah, we miss people here on earth, but you know what? The great thing is that we're going to be with Jesus, the one we love, right? We're going to shed our old body. It's getting older and bro breaking down. We get to get rid of our flesh and whew, shed that stuff and then be with, get our glorified bodies and be with Jesus. No wonder Paul wrote in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to what? To die is gain. Death is even ours. Death is even a benefit to us. Number four, he says here, or, or things present. And this really speaks about whatever currently is happening with you on this earth. Whatever that is, you know, no worries. Things, pre things present. Your life's going on. No worries because God is still in control. God still has a plan. You're his child. He's taking care of you. He will be with you through thick and thin, up and down, no matter what. Yeah. I think if anything, the things present, we have a hard time is trials, troubles, things that come upon us, right? When things don't go the way I expect them to. Yeah. Finances go down. Uh, your car breaks down. Uh, you lose your job. Yeah. You're abandoned by your friends or your, your boss or someone unjustly accuses you. It's hard. The present isn't fun sometimes. It doesn't seem like, well, is God really there because this is happening to me? But we know in the midst of the trials, yeah, in the midst of trials, we can experience God in incredible, incredible ways. He gives us strength. His spirit comes and, and ministers to us. He speaks to us a word and we go, wow. And we have those, I'll tell you, most of my aha moment, moments, yeah, like, oh, Lord, when God speaks to you in a word or in a message, it's been when I'm going through in the midst of deep trials, yeah. Those are the times when I experience God the deepest and the best. God is still there and he's still working things out for what? Bad? good right romans 8 28 and we know that all things work together for good for those who love god and who are called according to his purpose right god is working the good no matter what's happening bad or good it's good yeah in this present life and you know what that should make us excited all right god i'm going through this but i know you're going to do something God, it's, it's going to be hard, and I don't like it, but God, I know you're there, and I know you're going to do something through this. I know I can learn from that. I know I can grow. I know I can experience you like I've never experienced you ever before. Well, the last thing is things to come, right? So the world or life or death or things present or things to come. Well, that's the exciting part. There's hope for what's up ahead. There's hope for our future there is a future for us 
Sometimes in the middle of trouble, you think, I don't know, I don't, yeah. No, there is a tomorrow. There is a future. It's not just this life, you know, that, that God has a future for us, but it's our life to come, right? The eternal world, as we talked about, the eternal heaven that we're going to be living in. The, I mean, things in this world are going crazy, isn't it? I mean, you think of all the calamities, the hurricanes, two hurricanes, the ca- Category 5, yeah? the earthquakes in Mexico. Praise the Lord, no tsunami for us. Okay? Think about the wildfires on the west coast, you know, uh, uh, California, Oregon, Washington, Montana even. Yeah? Think about, um, they were talking about the two solar flares, right, that came off the sun. Did you read about that? Maybe like three days or so ago? They... Each flare was 10 times the size of our earth that came out, already disrupting some communications. I mean, it's like, whoa, do we have a future here? North Korea threats, yeah? Threat of war. Uh, People are talking, hey, this bubble is lasting enough. Time, the economy is going to crash any time now in the U.S. You know, it's like, whoa, and the crazy stuff going on in our country being divided. Is there really a future? I don't know about our country, but I know for me there is. Yeah, things to come, you guys. Things to come. Jesus is coming soon. The rapture could happen any moment. Yeah, I know. At least for me, God's going to take care of me, and I will still have a future. I know. At Camp Agape, one of the soaps, the the scripture observation application uh, prayer scriptures they had, and many picked was Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. That's the one they read. That's the one they did their devotion on. We know this. For I know. The thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's what we have, guys. Hey, this is the outlook to keep. You see what Paul's putting out here? Hey, all things belong to you. Because of Jesus in your life, all this is yours. They belong to you. Every feature that comes your way, Hey, it's your benefit to help you learn the truth and get to know Jesus better and the Word better. It's not about Paulos or Paul or Cephas. Everything in this world, hey, blessing for you. Even this life, death, things present, things to come, it's all there for your benefit and God's glory, and it's for every believer. For every believer here. So Paul's like, so why divide over these things, yeah? Why, why have contention over these things? You know, with, being all critical and better than you, you attitude, it was tearing the fellowship apart. They were falling apart here. The carnal approach and the carnal ways to possess, like, well, I, I have more, I have more, you know, I got more. Paul's saying, no, it's not about getting more than what others have. It's a, you guys have it all already. Don't divide over that. You have it all in Jesus Christ. So here's his point here. He's saying unity comes when every believer holds to this outlook. We all share the same benefit from God. What he's listed. Unity comes when every believer holds to this outlook. This is the outlook we're all supposed to have. We all share the same benefit, these benefits from God. Warren Wiersbe wrote, if all things belong to all believers, then why should there be competition and rivalry? Are you causing division? 
in your family, and even in this church, between your friends, between your group, at work, because of jealousy, because of pride, because you want everything, pushing your way, you want to be the one? Is that really the Lord? No, it's not. Paul says unity comes when every believer holds to this outlook. We, we all have everything. We're all in the same place here. We all share the same benefit from God. Are we being pushy in that way? It's, ah, this is mine. No, I, I want to do this. No, no, you're, I'm the one, yeah? Are we doing that? Hey, uh, we have two, two cats in our house. And um, one is, Janae named them. One, name, one is named Ziggy and one name is Moki. You can ask her later why. Anyway, um, the interesting thing is we have a bowl of water for them, and we have two bowls, one for each of them. And when the, when the food, you know, they eat the food and there's nothing in the bowl, uh, when you begin to put food into the bowls, um, Moki pushes Ziggy out of the way to get to the first bowl. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like, even though Ziggy's right there, Moki comes and push him out of the way because he wants to be there first. He wants the food first. And it's like, Moki, would you stop that? Hey, there's enough for everyone here. And that's the same idea. There's enough for everyone. God has blessed us with all things. Well, let's move on here to number three, our last heading, the right insight. Keep it together with the right wisdom, the right outlook, and now number three, the right insight. The right insight. First Corinthians chapter three, verse twenty-three, our very last verse. Paul then adds this. He says, And you are Christ, and Christ is God's. So Paul ends this whole thought in this whole line of things, how everything belongs to believers with, hey, you know what? And they all these things belong to you, but guess what? You are Christ. You're not your own. Okay? You belong to Jesus. Believers now belong to Jesus Christ. Before, above here, Paul was talking about our possession, right? Now, in this very last verse of chapter 3, he talks about our position now. Our position. We belong to Jesus. Let me ask you something. Do you know what the word redeem means. Do you know what the word redeem means? Well, it's a biblical word, redemption, you know, redeem. It means to buy back. Redeem means to buy back. If uh, you go to the redemption center over here, right, and you turn in your bottles and in your, your uh, uh, you know, your glass bottles and cans and, and all that, what are you doing? You're redeeming that. You're, you're, you're buying back. You're giving the bottles to get your nickel back from each bottle, right? The nickel was held hostage, ransom, you know, until you bought, brought your bottle back. That's the idea, right? Why? Because the state wants us to recycle, you know, be good to the environment. So they're going to hold your nickel ransom until you bring the bottles back. And then you could redeem your nickel. Well, that's the idea, to buy back. The word even here was used... Uh, when the sla a slave's freedom was purchased, right? Well, Jesus, his death on the cross, paid the price for our freedom from sin. We were freed, and believers were, First Corinthians 6, later we're going to see, were bought with a price. 
So we belong to Jesus. He redeemed us. He bought us with a price. So Paul's saying, hey, all the world, everything, you know, it belongs to you. But you know what? You, you actually belong to Jesus. And he goes on, verse 23, Christ is God. Now, this speaks not only that Jesus and the Father are one, but it speaks of how Jesus, uh, what everything he did, he did for the Father. He did for the Father's will, in fa the Father's will. So it just speaks how he submitted to the Father. He, he submitted as a servant to the Father and belonging to the Father when he came to this earth and, and became a man. So if we put all this together, Paul's saying all this re refers to the oneness that believers have with the Father and Jesus. So in this verse, that's the idea here. Remember when Jesus said in John 17, 21, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. So the the idea when we studied this back in John 17 was Jesus was saying, hey, may everyone be one in unity, one heart, basically. Just as you and I are one, Father, I pray that they would have one heart and have one heart with us. So what's Paul saying? This is our last point. Unity comes when believers realize this insight into our position this insight of our spiritual position we have with God. Unity comes when believers realize this insight of our spiritual posi position we have in God. We're one. We're one body. We're one family. We're one in that sense. It's not we're not divided. No one's better than the other person. No one has more than the other person. We're one, one body. We all belong to Christ, yeah? And in Christ is a father, we're one, and we're all one together. Unity comes when believers realize this insight. And this is the realization you have to have. You have to hold to that to keep the unity. Positionally, we are all one. We're all together with one heart. Many years ago, I remember a long, long time ago in this certain parenting class, uh, we were attending, um, this instructor put this picture out of, of a family that is together, but they're not really together. They describe the dad, the mom, all the kids in the family holding hands in a circle, but they were all facing out. So they're in a circle holding hands, all facing out. There was no, the, the, picture was to say there's no real care for one another. Though they're a family, they're looking more to the things outside their circle, what they want. That was the idea. But then he described, the teacher described another picture. Same thing, the dad, the mom, the kids holding hands in this circle. But this time they're facing in. They're all facing each other. And it was an illustration to show, see, they care for one another. There's love for one another. They're united in heart and, and as a family and who they are as a family. Well, that's the idea here. Paul's saying, hey, unity comes when believers realize this insight of our spiritual position. We're all holding hands, looking at each other. We're united in Jesus. Yeah? We're, we're all with the same heart in this family of God that we belong to and want to belong to and be a part of and want everyone to be a part of. So here, we're all 
ohana here. We're connected to each other in Jesus. That's what we got to realize to bring unity uh, in our church, in our lives with other believers. Well, you can see here, when we align ourselves with God's wisdom or his word, and when we align ourselves unto Jesus Christ, then you know what? Then we find true unity. It's about Jesus, right? It's not about me, what I want, what I think. It's about Jesus, about what he wants. I'll close with this. I like, I, I like what something uh, Herman Edwards once said, once said. He was a coach to the Kansas City Chiefs and before that the New York Jets football team. When it came to teamwork, he said this, the players that play on this football team will play for the name on the side of the helmet and not the name on the back of the jersey. I love that. That's what it's about. It's so true, so true. When it comes to unity in the church, we serve and we live not for ourselves, right? But for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, that's how to keep it together. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for God speaking to us. Lord, how clear it is on what you want us to do. Lord, so many times we need this reminder, but let us not ever forget it again. God, let us be mindful of our own fleshly, selfish pridefulness that, that can lead us into human wisdom human philosophy, the way we're supposed to run ourselves and think about me, but that's not what it's about. Your ways, what you want, and who you have made us to be is to be submitting to one another, to be loving one another, forgiving one another, all seeking your will, following what your word says, obeying you. For God, you are the head of this body, not me, not the pastor, not no one, no but you, Jesus Christ. Through it all, Lord, we want to be humble and teachable. Through it all, God, I, I know I'm not perfect, but God, I want to grow. I want to learn. I want to become better, Lord. And I don't ever want to think or say that I have it all. Lord, help us all to, to be in a place of always being teachable. May we never get so hard, so prideful, so blind and deceiving ourselves that, that we have wisdom when we really don't. So God, move in us, change us, help us. And I pray that today, tomorrow, this week, it would be different for each one of us. How we carry ourselves, how we say things, our attitude toward one another, our approach and we, when we have to deal with things. Let it be different than the way we've been running. God, we, we've been loose with our flesh. We've allowed things to happen and allowed words to come out and attitudes to, to be uh, given over to, Lord. Lord, we don't want to give ourselves over to the flesh, but we want to walk in the Spirit in your way. Fine-tune us. Change us, God, in these areas that I know you're speaking to each and every one of us about. Lord, 
and we want to be good examples of you, of your kingdom, of what it means to be a Christian, people of God, a child of God. Here we are, Lord. Move upon us, Father. Lord, how can we do anything else but bow to you and keep it together because of who you are, Lord? We worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen.